Hey, do you like movies? You do? Then I bet you're already very familiar with our friends over at Vinegar Syndrome. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. The company was started by cinephiles Joe Rubin and Ryan Emerson and was said to be, quote, perhaps the most important home video label in the world of genre film by the Alamo Draft House. Holy shit, that is one hell of an endorsement. A big part of that is because of a three-step process I lovingly refer to as the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an expansive film archive of over 500 feature films, and they also work closely with archival institutions like the Museum of Modern Art, the Academy, yeah, MoMA, the Academy Film Archive, the Library of Congress, UCLA, and the Walker Center. I can't even count how many of their releases have either never gotten a physical release or haven't been seen since the days of VHS. Many of these films look better than they have any right to look. My favorite thing about Vinegar Syndrome is that they have their own in-house lab, which they use to restore these films to all of their glory. I can honestly say that I have never seen any grain reduction or digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome was one of our first sponsors, and I'm overjoyed to say that they've stuck with us for five years. I'm still surprised we stuck around for five years, to be completely honest with you. uh, That we've stuck with each other. Yeah, I know. I really thought we'd be done after the first couple months in the first season. We're still keeping, baby! Yeah, we are. So check out their website today to pick up your copies of the Forgotten Jolly Collections 1, 2, and 3. Though one might be out of print, so if you see it, make sure you grab it. Satan's Blood. Fade to Black, a VHS favorite amongst a lot of cinephiles that was uh, unable to be released for a very long time. Taxi Girls, Don Coscarelli's Beastmaster, an HBO late night favorite. The 3D film Silent Madness. And the weirdo French Christmas horror film Dial Code Santa Claus, a.k.a. Deadly Game, and many, many more. Visit them today at VinegarSyndrome.com and let them know that the Shameless Picture Show sent you. That's right, VinegarSyndrome.com for all the cult, horror, exploitation, and vintage porn you could ever want. However much that may be. Yeah, exactly. Those of you who have been listening to the last handful of episodes, you may have noticed... As particularly in my track, if you can distinguish between the two, every once in a while there'd be this like sound, and that's because this nice audio rig that you may or may not be seeing, uh, I couldn't get to work for a while, so I just had the earbuds with the microphone on it, which would the microphone would rub against my beard <laughs> and make that lovely sandpaper sound. Ah. Well, I finally figured out, so I have four of these little adapter widgets. Mm-hmm. It, uh, since my MacBook only, ha- I forget what they're called, USB-C or Thunderbolt or Lightning, very, very frightening um, ports. So for this Christmas production that we did, we were doing 3D projection mapping for all of the sets. So my laptop was running five um, projectors, running sending video to five separate projectors. So I had four of these. One of them had an additional widget that split it one additional way. And they're by three different companies because mm-hmm. of how I had to source them. Well, one of them won't power 
my USB audio IO for some reason. Hmm. So I and I didn't realize that this was the problem because it was only happening when I would bring this rig home and at work it worked just fine. It's because the widget that I had in my bag is the one that didn't work and the ones that work were fine. So I finally tracked it down, finally found the problem, brought the right widget home, got it going. Now I can use my fancy mic and you won't hear the beardy <coughs> sound against the mic. Unless you want to, I can still rub my face on the mic if it I feel you know, like there's a part you. of me that's going to miss the beard, but I think it's better for all of us by not having it. <laughs> it's better for everyone listening, it's better for our audio, it's just probably better for people. Well, if any audience members want me to rub my beard against them in order to reenact what they miss with my low-tech solution, you just let me know. Find me on Facebook, <laughs> and we'll make that happen. But they can't, can't find you find on Facebook. find me on Facebook, which is why <laughs> it's okay that I was being kind of weirdly sexual to anonymous people, because there was no promise, like, no way for them to cash in on the offer. That That's fair. But what's been going on with you, Nick? Uh, what has... Oh, um, so it's election season. Yes. And... Um, I have in, in this current atmosphere of, uh, political anarchy on the national level, Mm -hmm. I have decided that a lot of positive change can happen on the local level politically. Okay. So there's not much we can do except voting for president, which feels like a drop in the... Like, it feels like it has such a small impact. But your impact locally can make a really big difference on the area you live. And that it that that bigger change in the smaller pond will have ripple effects that move upward, right? The things that you do locally can impact things on the state level and things that you do on the state level can have impacts on the national level. Hmm. So that's where I've kind of been putting my faith and my energy. And part of the way that I've done that is through um, the public access TV station that I operate. Uh, Give them a plug, Nick. Uh, Midshore Community Television in Easton, Maryland, home to Talbot County's blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and Rabbi Roundtable. And the Rabbi's Roundtable. But we have been doing, like, civic engagement uh, work. So Mm -hmm. we interviewed all of the county candidates um, before the primaries. And then after the primaries, we just this last weekend, I organized with uh, a couple of local partnerships a community round, uh, community, like, town hall slash debate with the 10 candidates and it was really successful for that level of thing you know where the the video which happened on sunday is just shy of a thousand views which for a local county council debate i think is pretty respectful i think it you know it it felt like doing good work at, at a local level and i hope it helps inform our voters and i hope that 
in mentioning it here that it might inspire some other people who are have the same existential dread that I have about politics to look locally and see what you can do there. Volunteering, um, working at a at a polling place, not as a like a weird naga like vote identifier but just like do the work and learn what the process is because the more you learn about politics the less likely you are to dismiss it as bullshit without really knowing what you're talking about you know like Mm -hmm. there's definitely bullshit in politics all over the place but like until you invest yourself in the process until you're like watching meetings and sitting in meetings and learn uh helping the poll workers do doing that work like that's when you can actually find out where the bullshit is and where the the real work is and then you can try to make a difference that was very mr smith goes to washington of you (laughs) well thank you (laughs) well fuck i don't know how to top that that was a really like engaging you know political pep talk fuck i feel inspired now yeah don't be a poll worker. <laughs> Go watch a town council meeting or city council meeting, I guess, where you're at. Yeah, I guess it is a city. Yeah. I kind of forget you don't live in a city because, like, everything <laughs> is 30 minutes away where you live. Yeah. 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 So I haven't been up to anything, like, that's been causing real change, you know. I wouldn't say that. Yeah. You have some very. I don't know how much you are allowed to talk about some of the things that you have going on but you've been hitting me up and you've got a lot of really exciting things uh i can pretty much talk about it i'm not like under like any like ndas or anything okay. it's all just like <laughs> small independent shit but um so i'm sure some of you who are frequent listeners have noticed that uh things have been coming out just a little bit slower than we would like to um and it's just because uh one, it's sometimes difficult for me and Nick just to get on the same page with each other. Not that, like, we're not on the same page, but, like, just to fit, get our shit together. And... We're we're grown-ups with lives. Who, yeah, like, yeah. And we're I'm, passionate I'm... about this, but, like, there are other things that we just have to prioritize as human beings. Yeah. Well, and so one of those things is I just shot a new movie. And it's the yeah, first movie I've made in, like, seven years. <laughs> like, not including, like, little videos and, like, music videos and stuff. But like, this is the first narrative piece I've done in a while. And um, uh, I just forgot how many fucking phone calls you have to take when you're making something. <laughs> Pre-production sucks. And it, you're like, you just, you know, you get home from work and you're like, you're just, you know, I work in a job where I talk on the phone a lot. And then, like, I'm, all, I'm kind of all phone called out. And then I was like, oh, shit, I got to call this makeup artist. I got to call this actress. I got to do, you know, oh, you know, meet with this person or do whatever. And then, (laughs) you know, the movie just kind of came together really fast. Um, We set a date because I I know myself sometimes if I don't set just a date, I will keep finding reasons to keep pushing it off just (laughs) because I'm a perfectionist. And if everything is not perfect, like, oh, well, we can't do it yet. So thankfully, my my producer and cinematographer kind of like pushed me a little bit and just said, let's, you know, shoot for, you know, at the time it was a first weekend of October. And this was like... um, 
end of August. And I was like, oh, that seems like a lot of time. I think we can get it together. And it just, I blinked. And I was like, oh, fuck, we're shooting in a weekend. <laughs> and oh, it, it came together really well. Um, I'm not going to spoil too much of the plot just because that one I do want to keep under wraps when people see the film. But it was, um, it's produced by a gentleman named Zach Braddy and myself. He, he's also the cinematographer. And it was written by Dick Gernert. And myself, Dick Gernert, for some of you whom, whom uh, I've seen anything he's done, he was a writer on Adventure Time. Oh, uh, so that excites he, me so much. And then I just um, pretty much finished the final cut of a music video, which should hopefully be coming out soon. So things are happening. Uh, one thing that we should say, I don't remember the phrase from the meeting, so hopefully you can help me up out. But we should mention Cinepunk's October event thingy cinoween cinoween so while this is not a horror episode per se we i'm guessing we'll do a halloween episode next we should not halloween the movie necessarily but a halloween type movie this one episode should be dropping in october Mm -hmm. i can i can um do the edit turnaround um pretty quick and um we should mention that it is Cineween for it is our Cineween. podcast network. So, uh, network. On, on Cinepunks.com, uh, that's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X.com, uh, their big thing that they do every year is Cineween. And that's, you know, originally it was, uh, you know, different articles every single day of, you know, trying to, um, you know, promote the love for horror films. Um, it's, it's augmented a little bit cause there's, there's fewer articles going up. They're still happening. Um, but you know, we try to do, um, some more spooky fun during Cineween. So, uh, definitely check out the Cinepunks website and, uh, check out some of the previous Cineween years. And like I said, there's a lot of other great podcasts on this network, uh, who are doing some spooky stuff there's uh you know if you want horror co- core content there's the podcast horror business there's twitch of the death nerve uh the carnage report there's a lot of good stuff up on there i'm really um, excited to dive into the different uh our our new podcast neighbors and and check out the content there yeah exactly like i said if, if you like horror like the the twitch of the death nerve podcast is a, is a lot of fun and they're really in depth in but still uh, a, a great listen uh but before we get to the topic at hand and actually start the episode proper i do <laughs> uh i do want to at least mention some of the cinepunk sponsors while we're at yeah. it uh so uh I haven't written any of this down so i'm just kind of winging it here but uh first off uh so as I said, we are on the Cinepunks network at this right now. They are, um, you know, hosting the show. They're they're promoting us. They're they're giving us a way to thrive, and to keep that going, uh, you know, we have sponsors. So first off, there's Lee Valley Apparel Creations. They are the premier screen printing of lee valley with service to the entire country they are professional and they're personable in a way that only a diy business can be plus they're ridiculously affordable for whatever your screen printing needs may be uh and you can find them at xlvacx.com that's xlvacx.com and then also there's the essex coffee roasters uh, it's coffee roasted to order, high quality beans. They also sell apparel and uh, 
uh, tea. I was I was gonna say teas, but it's not like t-shirts, but like <laughs> actual like drinking tea. Uh, Basically, and... all the sponsors have something to do with the word tea. Exactly, and but they bring high quality coffee to the masses without the pre without the the pretentious, uh, you know, coffee snob attitude. And you can if you use the code Cinepunks at checkout, you get ten percent off. So that's EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. It's weird doing sponsors for like, like sponsor ads for like places that I haven't brought into the fold. It's it's kind of right. fun. Um, <laughs> uh, was there anything else you want to talk about before we talk about the topic at hand? Nope. Let's get to it. Alrighty. Warning: This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers, and with me, as always, is a man who steals all of my best lines and even cut me out of episode two entirely... Nick Richards! <laughs> There's so many great quotes in this movie, but it was actually hard to find one for this intro. <laughs> Alright, so it's no secret that we here at the Shameless Picture Show love Star Trek. While I'm a far newer fan than my co-host, I have found myself drawn to it more and more since our pilot episode where we discussed three episodes from The Next Generation. I have become so into it that I have... I've not gotten very far, but I've started the journey of watching through Star Trek in order of star date. <laughs> Something that I have always wanted to do, and so after, I am very jealous. And after talking with Nick and reading some stuff online, everyone agrees that that is kind of a phenomenal way to go through it. Yep. Um, so, but it was kind of a big shocker for me that when I found out my co-host hadn't seen arguably the greatest love letters to Star Trek ever made, next to the documentary Trekkies, um, which I watched all the time as a kid, even though I had not seen Star Trek, which <laughs> is super and, weird. And I haven't seen Trekkies. <laughs> well, now you have to. Uh, but anyways, today we're discussing the film that Birth Movies Death has said is the seventh best Star Trek film ever made, <laughs> Dean Parasat's cult classic Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest is a beloved science fiction series from the 80s. It captured the imagination of its watchers and changed the lives of many. Fans from all over gather to meet their favorite characters at GalaxyCon, the world's largest Galaxy Quest fan con convention. Everyone is excited to be there, except for the actors from the show. They're <laughs> sick and tired of being known for this one role and wonder, is this all we're meant for? Except Jason Nesmith, who's played who plays Commander Taggart on the show. He, he revels in his stardom and has no qualms stealing work from his fellow cast members. Um, however, everything changes when a group calling themselves the Thermians be, uh, beg Nesmith to help save their planet. Thinking it's just some overzealous nerds role-playing, Jason agrees to help them. Until they zap him off to space, where he sees... These intergalactic superfans have recreated this fictional ship from his show, the NSEA Protector. Their, sh um, their show may have been canceled, but their adventure is just beginning. 
I stole that from the tag, one of the taglines from the show. Nice. Galaxy was, Quest. Was Galaxy Quest was well reviewed by critics and was a hit amongst moviegoers. Uh, the film was made for $45 million and managed to make $90 million at the box office. And that's not even accounting for DVD and VHS sales, which at that time in 99 probably doubled the amount of money it made. However, the Galaxy Quest love has not died down. While it's considered by some to be a cult classic, many influential names have praised the film, including influential playwright and filmmaker David Mamet, who listed Galaxy Quest as being a perfect film. Oh, wow. Galaxy, and it's, it's on the list along with The Godfather. <laughs> Whew. Galaxy Quest was directed by Dean Parasot from a script written by David Howard and Robert Gordon. The film was shot by Jersey Zielinski with music by my boy David Newman of Heather's fame, starring <laughs> Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Tony Shalhoub, Daryl Mitchell, and Sam Rockwell as Guy Fliegman. From 1999, this is Galaxy Quest. In the far reaches of the galaxy, a civilization is under siege. We are all that is left. They've searched the universe for a leader. Stay tuned for scenes from next week's Galaxy Quest. Never give up, never surrender. He will save us. What they got... Never give up and never surrender. We're struggling TV actors. You are our last hope. Where's my limo? Okie dokie. And they're about to put on a command performance. Eight million light years away. We are actors, not astronauts. You are our protectors. That was a hell of a thing. Now, Laredo, take us out. You gotta move to the right. Would you sit your ass down? You wanna drive this thing? Acting like heroes. The whole thing was just a misunderstanding. May not be enough. They look like little children. Hi, little guy. DreamWorks Pictures presents Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, Alan Rickman, Galaxy Quest. You're just gonna have to kill it. We'll go for the mouth to throw his vulnerable spots. It's a rocket that not even vulnerable spots. I literally just watched this movie last night, but like as I was watching that trailer, I was just like giggling to myself and was like, I want to watch it again. <laughs> there are some real like diddle inducing moments in this film i i must say <laughs> all right nick so uh as per usual when we do this show um this was on your shame list it this was. was a movie that i had had grown up watching i also loved that it came out in um the christmas of 99 like this is like the, probably the last movie to come out in 1999 <laughs> um what did you think of galaxy quest I had a real mixed reaction to oh, it. No. And, um, no, don't. Oh, no. Hold, hold your horses. Um, no, the horses. <laughs> they're running all over the place. <laughs> I. There were moments where I was genuinely bored, uh, particularly in the first act. 
Um, there were some moments when I was disappointed. There were moments when I Where's was Where's the butt coming? There were moments when I was inspired. Okay. And there were moments when, like, I was really proud of of both the cast and the and the filmmaking team. It was like I I was ambivalent in a way that I'm more so than perhaps any other film. Like, typically, I either like a film or I don't like a film. Like. But I know what I think about it. This one, I was back and forth and back and forth in a way that was very interesting to me. So where do you land on it, though? Like, <laughs> where is this needle? Is it is it leaning towards not liking it, liking it? Come on, help me out here. I I don't think that the needle is going to land. I I mm. think there are... I think the mixed reaction is the landing point. I think there are some things that I really like about this movie. And there are some things that I don't like about this movie. And that's what the movie is. It's, it's for me, not, not, you know, that's my reaction to it. Um, where I don't, I, I can't say categorically that I don't like this movie. And I can't say categorically that I do like this movie. Both of them exist at the same time. I don't know how to take that. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is personally. You should take it personally. <laughs> no, it's more. It's more so. It's like I don't necessarily care that you, if someone likes it or dislikes it. But like you're, you're being so damn neutral. How are we supposed to have a conversation about this? But but I don't feel neutrally about it. I feel ambivalent i'm feeling both things simultaneously which is was a fascinating thing for me to realize as i was watching like it it became clear to me about two-thirds of the way through the film that both things were happening simultaneously and i've never had that reaction before which was a cool unique experience to have okay fair enough i can i, I can accept that <laughs> <laughs> and I'll get into the whys and hows okay. uh, uh, as we go on. Um, what uh, I, I the the closest reaction that I to a piece of media that I've had, like what kind of it felt most familiar to me, was the Big Bang Theory. Interesting, and it, it's like this. It's a portrayal of nerd culture that misses the mark for me. Interesting. And I I, I don't quite want to get into it just yet, but I do in this episode want to talk a bit about gatekeeping. Okay. Because as I was analyzing my reaction to the movie, I wondered if... I wasn't as as anti gatekeeping as I am. I wondered if part of my mixed reaction wasn't coming from a space akin to gatekeeping. I've been challenging myself in the in you know post watching the film to see if I'm not part of my own problem here. 
which I which I very well could be as somebody who loves Star Trek, and it didn't land for me as a love letter to to Trek. It felt more like using nerd culture as a plot point. And I'm not saying that that was their intention. Like, for all I know, everybody involved is a huge, like, sci-fi fan who was genuinely writing a love letter. And it just didn't, that part of it didn't quite connect with me. And I, I speak primarily, this reaction was the first half of the film. Uh, the, the convention sequence and the really nerdy viewers who get dressed up and are kind of the butt of the jokes for like the when the actors who are uh or i should say the characters who are a little out of touch are approaching the actors and steving them out a bit because they're too into it it's like i don't know i'm kind of one of those people so like what is that you know what is this film saying about me as some you know i that was off-putting to me that's um and 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 I'm not. I would never go up to an actor and be like, "Oh my God!" In episode seventy-five, you know, I'm thinking it, but I I have enough social filter not to do it. But that's just one example of how this portrayal of nerd culture, when presented to a general audience, like in the Big Bang Theory, tends to use their enthusiasm as the butt of a joke rather than um presenting it in the spirit that everybody is at that convention for it i i now i legitimately would like to to get your opinion about the movie trekkies because it's made by star trek fans about star trek fans and let me tell you so i should also say I, I I love this movie. I grew up watching this movie. I also came to Star Trek a lot later. Right. And weirdly yeah. enough, like, I had seen this before Star Trek. Seeing this and then the documentary Trekkies, granted, that's only a small subsection of, of, of Trek fans, but fuck, the people in that movie, in that documentary Trekkies, are very similar to these people that right. you're yep. saying... I don't want to say not real. That's not like word. No, work your truth. They're not your truth. I I wouldn't even say that. I would say that those attendees are my truth, and I didn't like how they were being portrayed. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Now let me give you the other side of that. Again, ambivalence. I had strong reactions in both directions. Let me give you the other side of the scale. When you see them go up on the spaceship and they're, because they're actors, they don't know what they're doing and they screw things up and it kind of becomes a a comedy uh, or um, a fish out of water style comedy. um, It became less, and this is a strong word, I, I wouldn't say that I felt offended, but whatever that was in the first act, I was feeling less of it in the second act. But then it was just kind of generic comedy, and this also taps into another love-hate relationship that I have with the actor Tim Allen. Like, 
my my dad loved Home Improvement, the show growing up, so I ingested a lot of like Tim Allen comedy growing up. The, the Santa Claus I've seen. A lot. I've actually read both. Uh, I don't know if he wrote more, but his first two books. Um, he wrote and books? he's yeah, yep. Interesting. Uh, I think one was called "Don't Stand Too Close to a Naked Man." I can't remember the other one. But they, they, like, he talks about his cocaine addiction and, like, his, a lot of his comedy plays on misogyny, Mm -hmm. which is off-putting to me. And not necessarily in this film, but just seeing him on screen already, I'm bringing some of that baggage that I have to the film. So that's another complicating factor. Mm Mm-hmm. However, I think this movie really shines in the third act prior to them returning back to the convention where all those feelings were brought back up again. Once they figure out how to be heroes, I think the filmmakers, the writers, and the actors were really smart in not... They kind of dropped the comedy part, a few gags in there, but once they became heroes... Then it was playing out like a Star Trek episode. And I thought that was really smart. Like, it could have... They could have written it in a way that still had the... Kind of jokes in there. But they didn't. And that was when I really started getting excited about the content. I was surprised at how much it felt like a Star Trek episode. Once they were done with the fish out of water part of the story. I'd be curious if on a, a if a, upon a rewatch how you would feel. Uh, yeah, I, I'm uh, wondering if myself like, as well. The, for lack of a term, the shock of what you were not responding to, like once that's kind of worn off, or like you know, so like you said, you're not necessarily the biggest Tim Allen fan, which you know you you make uh, some valid points about why he doesn't work for you. Because I I know for myself, there's been times in the past where like. I'll come into a movie with just whatever expectations, good, bad, ambivalent, yep. whatever. And I'll come in and just something, it just, there was a, just a complete shock to my system about the film. And, um, and it, it definitely takes like a rewatch for me to appreciate what the film is. Like, actually, I think a perfect example of that would be a movie that you, you really like uh, high fidelity. Uh, first time I saw that movie, I was shocked yep. by how much I fucking hated that lead character. <laughs> uh, me too. Me too. Um, but then like... And and I still do, but I think that was part of the story. Like, that that mm-hmm. was part of the narrative that they were telling. Yeah. And that the conclusion of the film acknowledges that. Yeah, yeah. So, I'd be curious how you how you feel on, on rewatch. And I will say, like, the, the issues that you have with, like... Uh, the nerd culture and the um, the convention goers. I personally didn't feel any of that. Granted, you're on a different level of, of, of <laughs> fandom with Star Trek than I am. But at the same time, I know what it's like to have extreme fandom like this. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm no stranger to conventions. Right. I don't go to Star Trek conventions, but I go to a lot of horror conventions. Yeah. And, um, and I should clarify, I don't go to Star Trek conventions either. But I do go to gaming conventions and kind of generic nerd well, convention. L- let me ask you this. We'll get back on the topic uh, of Galaxy Quest in just a second. But since we're on this this topic of depiction of nerd culture, how do you feel about Kevin Smith's movies? B- 
because he depicts nerd culture in a very exaggerated, almost not real way as well with the way like uh, – especially in like Chasing Amy and that convention scene, the way that the comic book nerds are around Stan Lee and, and, and Mallrats. How do you feel about his depiction of these things? I think – I I have a feeling that my reaction about the fandom in the Red Bank films is probably similar to your reaction of the Star Trek fans in Galaxy Quest in that since I was not a huge... I, I read comic books, but more selectively, and I tend not to go for most of the mainstream storylines. I'm not a Marvel guy. Uh, I enjoy some Dark Horse and... Um, Batman is is one that I've enjoyed, but um, for the most part, I don't identify as a comic book nerd, mm-hmm. so I didn't have as visceral of a reaction as I did to the Star Trek nerds. Interesting. So that to so to more concisely answer your question, know the way that nerd culture was portrayed in the red bank films did not put me off Hmm. but that is a i think a result of the the nerd perspective that i was coming at it from not necessarily the work that the respective filmmakers did I don't really have a follow up to that. Just I was just, it was just fast. It, it was just, it, it was interested in if um like you said the perspectives perspectives everything. Like yeah, um, yeah. um and I said well I don't necessarily feel the way that you do about the way that the, those those scenes are written cuz funny enough that's actually some of my favorite stuff in this movie. <laughs> um I can get where you're coming from with it. Right. Like the so the the actual aliens that come they have a um, – their dialect uh, was different. And when the actors who portrayed these uh, – I, I need to specify because we have, like, inception levels of actor in this because the <laughs> actual actors are playing actors who are playing uh, ship uh, – crew that actually became a ship crew <laughs> um so when tim allen and sigourney weaver and alan rickman were approached by the actual aliens who had a particular manner of speaking how it came off to the the uh, celebrities was oh you're just weird right they didn't question their humanity because the weird way that they were talking felt like they were weird people, which made sense in the convention setting. But at the same time, like, so granted we can only go off of what we've seen on the movie. Uh, Tim Allen's character is the only one that interacted with them at first. And he's just so far up his own ass as a character that he's probably not even paying attention to the way that they're talking or the way that they look. Like you said, he's probably just thinking, well, you guys are clearly in a costume and you're talking this way because you're committed to a bit. Um, that's the way I read it, is that he's just like, uh, like I, 
It's very much like that scene in the limo where he's like, you know, I'm going to close my eyes. You guys just keep talking. <laughs> Which they're like, it, going back to the high fidelity comparison, what ended up, what, what altered my perception of that character was that when the end came around, I believed his journey and accepted that this was a film about an asshole who at the end starts to understand that he's an asshole, Mm -hmm. right? Tim Allen's character in Galaxy Quest is also an asshole, Mm -hmm. a self-absorbed, you know, and then, and this isn't to detract from his, from the hero part of the film. Again, I, I think that that was pretty great. I'm not detracting from that. However, in terms of a character, like, he learned how to be a hero, but he didn't, I, like, he didn't redeem himself as an asshole to me. Okay. Like, that's, there is a, a distinction that I would draw between those two characters, and that's not to say that um, the character in High Fidelity is a better person. If anything, I think he's a worse person. I think he's pretty terrible. Um, and Tim Allen, like, it's good casting to pit him as the, you know, the Captain Kirk, st- or uh, the, I'm blanking, as a Trekkie, I'm blanking on the actor that plays Captain Kirk. Help William me out. Shatner. William Shatner, thank you. Um, like, that felt, re- like, kind of good casting to me. That That worked for me. You could tell what they were going for when they cast Tim Allen as the actor who portrayed the captain of the Star Trek like series. Yeah. Um uh, but like he didn't his redemption story was not strong. It was more like, yeah, now I'm just as awesome as I always thought I was. And this isn't a problem that I have with this particular story. It's more of like if we're comparing it to high fidelity, I I do see a departure in their character arcs. See, and I will disagree with you. Uh, okay. As, as someone who is very critical about assholes not learning their lesson, <laughs> i.e. Bill Murray and fucking Ghostbusters. <laughs> right. This is why points. Ghostbusters 2. Absolutely. Why, which is why, for me, Ghostbusters 2 was better. Um, <laughs> I, and you'll, granted, I've only seen High Fidelity the one time, so please it, correct me if I'm missing stuff. Um, I, I feel like... I don't remember his character name, so I'm just going to call him Mr. High Fidelity. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to come up with it, too. Mr. High um, Fidelity, through the entire movie, is this fucking just, you know, like, just truly an asshole and just a whiny kind of yep. jerk. And it was yep. it's not until, like, the last fucking scene that he has some sort of revelation. Literally, like, the last three minutes of the film. Whereas with Tim Allen's character, I feel like we see growth through the film and and, i don't disagree with you you see growth through the film and while in the end he is portraying this level of person that he's always viewed himself as i think his he's changed mentally that he's not like look how fucking cool i am he's just finding within himself to be a better person the point is made even stronger just by little things throughout it the fact that when um he has to admit to Mathisar that he's been lying to them. 
and he apologizes to him. That's something that this character wouldn't have done at the beginning of the film. Another I, thing is I don't disagree with like, that. Like um, you know, something it's a, it's a small thing, but like after, you know, they've defeated the the alien at the convention and whatnot, he goes to take a bow, but then he requests the rest of his cast come up and do it with him. He's sharing the spotlight. The way I I've always viewed a character is are the will the decisions that this character's making at the end of the film be decisions that they would make at the beginning of the film? And I don't think any, anything that Tim Allen's character has done in this film from a certain I I'm just going to pick just say it was something vague like at a certain point I, you know um I I don't think these are decisions that he was capable of making. And I and so that's where I feel like Tim Allen's growth is stronger in this film than, say, something like High F- Mr. High Fidelity's growth. <laughs> I don't remember that fucking character's name. Uh, I can't even think of the actor I, right now. I want to um, say John, but that's not it. <laughs> is John the, the... Why am I blanking so hard today? I don't know. I'm, let's look up High Fidelity real quick. So, like, Thank you. I, um, I, I personally just think his, his growth is scripted so well that I... I think he has changed significantly I, as a character. I, I I don't disagree with you. I think maybe what is, and I'm speculating here. It's because Rob, we're, by the way. Rob Gordon. Rob, yes. Fucking Rob. And actually, Rob, we are talking about someone else. Mom's not too bad. But Laura, I don't know. Yeah, well, she's had a rough time of it already. Without this, it's just so hard when you put all of your efforts into one area of your life and it doesn't work out. Don't mind me, really. It's no problem. Just pretend like you're talking about someone else. It's okay. Well, in fact, we are talking about someone else. We're talking about Laura. Oh. Oh? Don't fucking say oh like that to me, Liz. I'm still exploring this as we're, like, unpacking it live, but... Maybe the reason why... I don't disagree with any of the points you you said. And Rob in High Fidelity does not change. Like, we don't see the change. All we see is acknowledgement that he, is, that he believes himself to be an asshole. That's it. Mm-hmm. Which is a form of change. Um, well, it's not necessarily because you can admit that you're an asshole, but then change nothing. We don't well, know what, where his life would have gone just, after the credits. Just the fact that he acknowledged it is a change. Now, will it lead to more and actually substantial change? We we don't know. But the acknowledgement is a change. Um, but I I think maybe what why I don't buy into his change is because of the performance or the actor, and that could go back to the issues that I have with Tim Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so maybe I'm just skeptical of it all because I'm, because of the baggage that I brought to the film. And maybe it, if that's not the case, then I didn't buy his performance as somebody who's changed. He's, I, I agree with all the points you made. Yep. He brought the rest of the crew up for the, which he wouldn't have done before. Absolutely. Yes. He, Instead of just taking the easy way out, he acknowledged that he was lying. Though that was also kind of part of his ruse, if I'm remembering correctly, which I might not be. Um, uh, to kind of like 
get an advantage over the big space orc. Um, but no, I think... it, w- it wasn't part of a ruse. It, he was kind of trapped, and the the Mathazar was being tortured, and uh, it was pretty right. much yeah. So, but unimportant. Um, but maybe just Tim Allen's performance felt hollow, whereas. Like even though it didn't demonstrate much change, much, uh, any like meaningful change, like I fucking believed that moment at the end of High Fidelity where he's like, "Oh shit, maybe I've been a dick." Like I one hundred percent believed that performance. Interesting. But hey, one thing I think is important to mention about all of this <laughs> is cause, you know th- this this show has always been about. Um, exploration of 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 your own fandom and yeah uh and 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 being truthful i think it's 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 perfectly okay and i feel like not enough people sometimes uh feel this it's perfectly okay to be like something's not clicking with me because of me because of my baggage because of what i'm bringing into this and that's perfectly okay you know, yep. um, like I said, I, I I I came into Ghostbusters with my own personal baggage. <laughs> you know, I was very un- <laughs> I I kind of hated a lot of the fandom around that movie when I came into that movie. So I know that colored some of my my perspective. And the yeah. nice thing about doing this show, and and if people don't aren't aware of this, they should be. There is no right or wrong. <laughs> Anything you're saying is not necessarily truth. It's all opinion. I like. I like to think of our podcast as more like film therapy than it is film analysis. <laughs> I've often felt that like it's, 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 it's sometimes therapy for ourselves or working through some complex feelings. Like it's, and here's the thing too. We're allowed to change our minds. This might yeah, be how, absolutely. Right, you know, what I think works so well about this show is a lot of times we are going off of our kind of knee jerk reaction with the, you know, we have a little bit of time to, to, ruminate on things but we're just we're, we're realistically going off of our first perspective because it's a first time viewing yeah. you know you might watch it a couple years from now and be like holy shit this works so much better than it did the first time for me or vice versa you know who knows yeah. who knows <laughs> and while i'm skeptical that my opinion will change that much <laughs> i acknowledge that it's possible <laughs> well and and maybe this is a good time to get into the gatekeeping uh, part of the conversation because I started to wonder as I was, you know, breaking down my notes for this, like, am I gatekeeping? Am I, where is the line between my feelings of like not wanting the culture to be represented regardless of the intensity of the presentation as like the butt of the joke look at how nerdy these nerds are and how much at at what point does that become gatekeeping you know how how much is my reaction coming from i love star trek and this feels off to me therefore you did it wrong you know that there's possibly some of that in there i try not to but that doesn't mean i'm not going to have that reaction Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I don't have that answer yet. I, I don't know whether or not I'm being a gatekeeping dick about this or if I'm defending 
the humanity of people who are passionate about their hobbies you know at at what point does one become the other or is it both at the same time i don't know and actually uh uh one of the listeners ron says that's the reason he doesn't watch the big bang theories because that's not what he feels like being a nerd yeah but i'm like as somebody who's passionate about many of those same things that they're representing on the big bang theory it it i can't say this because i don't know but it feels to me like people who aren't a deep part of that culture using it as a plot point. And that maybe that's not true. Though I, I, I totally acknowledge that, but that's the feeling like it feels off. It's like the uncanny valley of nerdism. And that, uh, to, that to play devil's advocate, I will also say I, I acknowledge your thoughts and Ron's thoughts. And I 100% believe that like, that is not how you view yourself as a nerd, but that's also not to say that there aren't people out there like this who also Other nerds. Th- this, maybe totally. this is true to them. It's like, um, you know, um, um, I'm, I, I, I'm involved with a lot of, uh, places for the horror world. And I will say this as someone who is a diehard horror fan, most horror fans annoy the shit out of me. <laughs> and and also like when i do see stuff like that's kind of skewering them um i'm like yeah this is fu- this is accurate and this is why i don't like a lot of them like, right like right. maybe maybe it's also a thing where yes it is a heightened view of nerdom both big bang theory galaxy quest um, I don't know that it's heightened. Like, there's definitely people that are like well, the way that they portray. I'm also wondering too if it's just like having a mirror turned on you a little bit. Like, totally. it's like being like, "Wait, is this how people fucking see me? Is this what I'm right? like?" Yeah. Like, may, and like I said, maybe it made you uncomfortable for that reason, or or totally. um, who knows? Yeah. Well, and. Um, I'm trying to think of. Okay, so I'm a, I'm a big Dungeons and Dragons nerd, um, and I watch anybody who is at all Dungeons and Dragons adjacent has probably at least heard of Critical Role. It's it, like insanely successful. It's it's insanely successful. It blows my mind. Um, that is a community or at least what they portray is a very loving and accepting environment for for nerdism if you will um and i think that is not just critical role i think there is a lot of you know all of us middle-aged people that were nerds in high school that were picked on and bullied like now we're older and we're bigger and we can say you know what where you're still going to like it and screw you if you don't. And we're going to love each other for, for what we like. And so like, could this be coming from a place of defensive, you know, a a defensive place? Absolutely. Maybe. I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. That's, that's what therapy is for. It's just, it's interesting. And I'm not like saying anything you're saying is wrong. I'm just 
kind of just playing devil's advocate yeah, no, and just trying to help you get to the bottom of it. Cause like, I, I love this conversation and the way that it's said, and I, I'm not taking any of it personally. And most of what you're said, I'm like, yeah, that's well, just like, as likely as anything like else. Another example I was thinking of, like, I think we've both talked about how we're both fans of the TV show community. Uh, I actually have not seen it. Oh, okay. never mind. I, I've seen say, one or two episodes. One, one of the char- one of the characters is kind of like a heightened nerd and, is considered kind of like the gem of the TV show. So yeah, it's also this could like uh, with a lot of these portrayals. It also, and I was thinking of this with the with the the alien race and galaxy quest. Like, does it start to move into like the autism spectrum? Because a lot of people on the autism spectrum have these strong singular passions and tend to be represented in a way that has some negative connotation to it. And I, and obviously this is all like, you know, every year that goes by are, there are more voices saying it's not okay to use that as a plot point, you know, where it, I, I guess plot point isn't the right uh, thing, but like it's not okay to just go, yep, they're weird and awkward without going into their story. Um, and I wondered if there wasn't some of that happening, which would be on brand for the late 90s, um, where they're not saying this person is autistic, but they're using those types of characteristics to go this person is awkward mm-hmm. and outside of the norm in a way that like even if that's not there it just there like makes me a little uncomfortable interesting I never i'd never read it that way hmm. and and again like maybe none of that's in there i don't know i wasn't in the writer's room yeah yeah <laughs> there's obviously nothing um overt about it i we're we're talking about subtleties and and our understanding of social structures in various points in time and it it gets complicated this is not where i imagine this conversation to go <laughs> well um but that, not in a bad way that that yeah was just, just that, hey that's the great part of having a podcast yeah <laughs> cinetherapy well one thing i want i want to talk about is because I think it could be an interesting discussion because the, these these terms are used a lot of times very um, interchangeably. Uh, parody versus satire. Okay. And where do, where do you feel like this film lands? If it lands in either one of those, and like yeah. how, how how you view? Because like one thing that. Like, I'm sure there's a there's a genre name for something like this, like a subgenre. But like, I've always found myself liking movies that were like, it's 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 a send up of something, but it also still is that thing. So like, this right. is poking fun at science fiction, you know, high concept science fiction, Star Trekian stuff, whatever. But it also is that thing as well. It's not just right, poking fun right. at it, because in the end, it becomes that thing. Or it also exists within itself. Yeah. Or like yeah. Um, um, Tropic Thunder is a movie making fun of Hollywood and war films, but then becomes that in the end. 
Which I have not seen that. That or, is on or, my uh, to watch list. Walk Hard is making fun of biopics, yes. but also of uh, music biopics, but also <laughs> is one just for a fictional person. So right, you know. Right. Um, uh, I, I wouldn't consider it satire because I don't think it's using it as, like, a critique or a criticism of anything. I think it starts out, or I, I wouldn't even say it starts out. I, I think there is parody in it. But I think it stops being a parody, or when it stops being a parody, that's where it really takes off. Like, I don't enjoy the parody parts of the film, and I really enjoy the parts of the film that are not parody. So let me ask you this, because I've never... I, uh, I, I'm i one of those people that uses the two terms interchangeably. How do you define satire versus versus parody? Uh, I think it's it's in the intent. If, if you're spoofing something or, or using these references to criticize something to or um to comment on on something bigger that's satire okay it's, so, it's I feel like that's kind of how i purpose. used it without realizing how i was yeah. using it <laughs> where where i i did not pick up on any bigger points where they were using the nerd culture or or convention culture or star trek or anything to make some bigger social point i think it was in in parts it is simply parody for the point of humor which is fine but those parts of the movie were the parts that i didn't enjoy and when it stops being parody and it's more love letter um that's when it really takes off then then i was like oh shit when did this become a great film (laughs) <laughs> like it, it, I, I found myself shocked at how much my opinion changed because of like not anything that was happening within me, but because the filmmakers made tone changes and the actors made tone changes and it was intentionally constructed that way. I think most people enjoyed all of it, as was indicated by, you know, the critical reaction and the 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 critics reaction and the box office numbers like a lot of people enjoyed it um and i think some of what made it more appealing to a general audience are some of the same things that put me off that's fair <laughs> i'm i'm curious like, and this is not really something that can be answered as of right now but i'd be curious to see like if you were able to do a, like a rewrite on it, how you would handle that first act? Oh, I, get... I, so much of it would depend on like the parameters that I was put under. Like, why am I rewriting it? What is my <laughs> goal in rewrite? Like, there's there's way too many questions for me to answer that simply. All right. Um, well, then let's 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 um, pivot a little bit. Uh, yeah, and let's talk about um, other than the Tim Allen role, which we've kind of we've talked about. Like, where how, uh, your feelings on? Because uh, this is a pretty star star studded cast, surprisingly star studded. Um, and, and it's um, I forget the actor's name, but the guy, the kid that plays Brandon wasn't this his first film? Yeah, uh, Justin Long. Yeah, Justin Long. This is like one of his first films. Um, and I was so glad that his character 
was so integrated into the back half of the film. Mm -hmm. Again, it's part of that, like, where the film kind of redeemed itself for me because the kid that was being portrayed as one of those nerds that the cool people did not have fucking time for, like, now they all of a sudden needed him. And it's... Again, part of my reaction to this film could just be that it's poking in those, like those old scars of mine it could be because I was that kid that was picked on. It's like someday you're going to need me, you know? Yeah. Cause and honestly, like uh, we can talk about like the cast and like their characterizations and everything here in a minute. But like, that's one thing I think this film does so brilliantly is it's phenomenal at calling back on itself. So, you know, you have the Justin Long character when he first comes up to the table and he is ex- excessive and he's being used <laughs> for the joke. And, um, and I'm sure when people saw this back in 99, Justin Long was a nobody, so they like probably thought, okay, this character is just going to come and go. Oh, yeah, we, I, oh, we, we, I expected to not see him. Again. We need, oh, okay, he comes back again because he needs to bump into Taggart and they need to switch their thingies or whatever, because yep. that's a joke all in itself. But then, like, it calls back on him, you know, like his, his, you know, Taggart remembers those fucking questions he was being asked, and then <laughs> I know just who to call. Yeah. <laughs> And, and then, you know, and it's not even just that moment, but, like, the way that they brought back the rock monster. You know, they could have come back, uh, you know, they, they had the rock monster on, on the planet that they defeated. And yeah. then they brought it back in a different way. Or, or um, I, I failing to remember the, the how they brought it they back. They brought him back because they had to, like, clear out a room. So, um, you know, Tony Shalhoub's character. Oh, Shalhoub's yeah, and they beamed it up. Who, yeah. Who, at one point couldn't even fucking use that machine because he was so scared was able to to confidently teleport that rock monster into that room and <laughs> destroy them all or even just like one of my favorite callbacks in the movie like you know you have alan rickmart alan rickman's character who has that fucking line that he hates you know by grathgar's hammer or whatever one like one of the two highlights of the film for me was him delivering that line to the alien who like oh. it was so important to to that like dying alien it, to, like he looked up to him so much and uh, like alan rickman is so great you know for all the issues that i have with tim allen every single other actor in this film is so good and and maybe that's part of why like tim allen didn't like wasn't quite enough again i i acknowledged earlier in this recording i think he was the right actor to be tasked in that role but everybody's so good, and when Alan Rickman delivers that line with so much heart and and like understanding of how much he needed to hear it, like he he refound it's, the beauty in something that he had said a billion times and had lost all meaning. It's like well, look at the beginning of the film when he's you know I don't remember the fucking line, but like by you know Rackgar's hammer, wow, what savings! Like to to that <laughs> moment. Yes. Um, and, you know, I, I, anyone who is like, when I was a kid and I hadn't seen any Star Trek, I could watch this and pretty much tell you who each person was. Oh, yep. Yep. He's <laughs> like, <fucked>. it's that <laughs> obvious. Like, as someone yes. who didn't watch it. And I, cause like, so I, I so I, this is a movie I'd seen quite a bit as a kid. I had not seen it again since it was on VHS. So this is my first rewatch since childhood. And I'm not going to lie. I was going in like kind of scared. Like, I remember liking this movie. Does it hold up? <laughs> this is like, 
you know, it's like I don't ever hear anyone talk about Galaxy. I know it's got like a cult following, but no one I personally know had really ever seen the film. Yeah, um, I was very aware of it the whole time, but didn't really feel pulled. To, but like I was like, surprised, it. like how well it worked on me again. And a big part of it is because of this cast. You know, not even just Alan Rickman, um, uh, but like. I think Tony Shalhoub is is such an incredible character in this, or even um, uh, uh, fuck Sam Rockwell's character, yeah, is like kind of yeah. like the heart of this film, like where they his... have that like conversation about how I'm the one who's gonna die. Do, do, yeah. do I even have a last name? What is it? Yeah, you know I'm gonna be the first Which one. To I go. love when they brought back Galaxy Quest, like the Next Generation or whatever. He had the <laughs> longest fucking name of any character. <laughs> It's like, I'm well, sticking around, bitches. Well, like, what, what I found so endearing about this most recent rewatch is that, one, I feel like every character has an arc yeah, of some sort. But then I also loved seeing, like, these actors who, they're, they're skewering, you know, real people, you know? So, like, Alan Rickman is kind of the Leonard Nimoy of this and so on yeah. and so forth. But then I also, as I was watching, so this is something that was lost to me as a kid, and maybe it wasn't necessarily there, like, but knowing these people's careers far more now, I can see it. It's also skewering themselves. Sure, they're all actors. Like, look at, like, Alan Rickman is a, cl- is a classically trained. When he's sitting in the makeup chair before the convention in the beginning, I'm like, he is playing himself. Yeah. <laughs> You know, because he's like, you know, he's a classically trained actor, you know, who's done a lot of fucking British theater, who's doing this movie. (laughs) Who also was in um, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which is another, like, I'm pretty sure that Hitchhiker's Guide came out later, but, like, I was seeing some parallels there as well, where he's this classically trained actor who was in a big sci-fi Or Sigourney Weaver kind of being used as, like, the sex symbol of this film, because I know that was something she struggled with in her own career. Um, And it was so funny to see, like, her cleavage in the old footage, (laughs) and then it cuts to her, the real person, in the uniform, and it's, like, normal. It's still, she's still obviously very beautiful but it's not like that overly sexualized mm-hmm. version of herself and um yeah it was it's interesting seeing yeah, or, all of or those even little like, details they put in yeah or even like sam rockwell at this point like sam rockwell was not a big name at this point like let's see this was 99 let's just because uh now i am curious let's take a look at sam rockwell's like filmography in 99 like you know, he had done, so he was in the Green Mile, which I think was probably, like, his biggest uh, film up to that point, and then had done a, a lot of indie films. So, like, you know, here you have a guy who's supposed to be playing, like, this this no-name guy kind of chasing fame being played by a guy who's kind of a nobody at that time. So, <laughs> right. it's like, I, it's, and these are, like, perspectives that I feel like mean a lot more after at with some time yes um because like look at alan rickman's character you know kind of hated you know his, his character in the movie hated doing this role um because he felt he was he was um meant for better things and yeah. then by the end of the film he's like you know i should be thankful that there's people out there that love what i do and i can bring a lot into this 
I don't know what Alan Rickman was like as a person, so I'm just spitballing <laughs> Speculating, here. Speculating, yeah. But, like, you know, you have someone who started off, like I said, you know, doing uh, fucking Shakespeare in the park and was classically trained at acting and then kind of got his big break and die hard. Um, you know, I wonder if there was some of that with him. The way that I would word it is I think regardless of what Alan Rickman the person is like, I think he was able to bring a lot of truth to his performance based on his career. But then, like, you know, it's like the like once like the the you know then Alan Rickman would later go on to do fucking eight Harry Potter movies and <laughs> right. but was able to bring all of his gravitas to that. So I don't know. I, I don't know if the point I'm trying to make is clicking here, but <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um I I mentioned that the that Alan Rickman's like delivering that line as the the other guy's swan song was one of my favorite moments and I'd like to mention the other one was Tony Shaloub when they're first trying to operate the spaceship and he's in engineering and he comes up on the screen and he's kind of looking over his shoulder and he's like um they're telling me uh that the uh, the engines can't take it anymore I guess uh they're maxed out and uh yeah I, I, I guess they <laughs> the way, I love Tony Shaloub this is a version of Tony Shalhoub that I haven't quite seen. Like, every performance of his is pretty starkly different. Yeah. He doesn't stay in any one lane, and I really enjoyed him. The the, the follow-up scene to that where he, he comes back again, he's a little bit more confident this time, and he's like, oh, they're saying this, this, or this. And he's like, right again. Bring it in, guys. Bring it in. <laughs> right, yeah. Hey. <laughs> or, like, later on when he was like... Uh, uh, he's like, you guys see that? The door stuck a little bit. I'll call one of my boys and have him come put some WD-40 on. <laughs> like, Amanda was commenting on just how, like, he's like, he's so, like, proud of these, uh, of, of his team. And he has no idea. Like, I also love that he's the only one who's, like, pretty comfortable with this stuff. Like, just for some like, reason, he he's just, like, he's, like, eating snacks when they're all, like, panicking and shit. I feel like he's the only one who's not playing an actor. Yeah. Like he, he's like he somehow got this role. Like he probably wandered into the casting of the original Galaxy Quest TV show and just happened to get it. And he's like, "Cool, yeah, I can do that." But he's not an actor, you know, with a capital A. He's, so when he's in this, he's like, "Oh yeah." Well, even like like T Tim Allen has that line. It's like you always remembered your lines. You always hit your marks. Like they, he never said he was a good actor. It's like, but you always hit your marks, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. <laughs> okay, here here's the note that I said when we were talking about parody. Um, uh, what I wrote is, it played an interesting line between parody, fish out of water story, and, tr and Star Trek episode. Then it gets cheesy again at the convention at the end <laughs> in a way that I'm not okay with. Like they had it, I feel like they they got it all together, and then for the sake of wrapping things up, it like, <laughs> which again, for all the reasons we've already talked about, is part of like I think my personal hang up with a lot of things. Like there's a lot going into my reaction to this, um, and we've said this a billion times before. I've warned against it over and over and over and over again. What you bring to a film, the expectations you have, your experiences, that all affects how 
what your reaction to a film is and this is a just a really strong example of that for me i think no i think that's that's fair uh really did not know you had such a strong feeling about tim allen (laughs) (laughs) who knew yeah while i think it was always there i don't think i ever thought about it that which is hard until now it's funny because like i'm i'm a little bit younger than you i I don't view Tim Allen that way because it's like he always felt like a father figure to me growing up because of something like Home Improvement or the Santa Claus. And, you know, he almost – but yet, like, he does have that little bit of rugged, like, assholishness. Funny enough, from what I read, apparently at one point – well, one, Harold Ramis is originally attached to direct this. But funny enough, oh, interesting. he didn't want to fucking work with Tim Allen. <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, at one point, Alec Baldwin was supposed to play the Tim Allen role. Okay. I I wonder if how my reaction would have changed with, with somebody else in that role. Uh, it could have very... It, it could have very likely impacted my and, reaction. And then I'd it. also be curious, like, if they would have went this direction. I don't know if the movie would have worked as well if they would have went this direction. But one early idea they had for it was to just make it very meta and have the Star Trek actors in it. Oh, that would have been interesting. <laughs> so, like, you have Leonard Nimoy there being like, I'm not saying that line again. <laughs> Right, like, <laughs> or you have William then, Shatner stealing all the fucking publicity, and and does it work if they're using like the phrase "Galaxy Quest" instead of "Star Trek"? Is does well, that they, then it was going to be about Star Trek? Okay, then then that's then. Uh, have you seen the movie "Always Be My Maybe"? No, I never. I didn't see that. Okay, well. Keanu Reeves has a role in it where he plays himself, mm-hmm. but he is like a really pretentious asshole, crazy version of himself. Like nothing like how he really is, but he's still well, you Keanu don't Reeves, the actor, right? Um, where like I wonder if it falls into that a similar role if you had the Star Trek characters playing a fictional story that's and- like similar to truth but still fiction like historical fiction (laughs) i don't know if it would have worked as well for me um for two reasons one we kind of got that in futurama already (laughs) ah can people who hate star trek leave good question no No, you have have to to stay stay even longer longer. (laughs) that the one episode oh i love that episode uh but then two um like let's uh uh separate your personal feelings about tim allen for a second i don't think william shatner could have done this role justice in both comedy and emotion because like tim allen's not a bad actor he's definitely known for comedy but he showed in this that he has other elements to him um and i don't know if william shatner could have done that sure I don't sure. know, like, I feel like William Shatner could have probably done some, uh, gotten some of those comedy beats and everything. I feel like he would have been fine with that. I don't know if he would have been able to, like, sell the growth in the end um, the way that Tim Allen did. Now, now I'm trying to think back to the Futurama episode to see if he, like, accomplished that in that episode. Just surprisingly, like, as you bring Funny up that enough, episode. I don't, I don't think he did, because there's actually that great, like, I feel like, uh, I feel like 
he he is just playing that one note the entire time. Yeah, and that's part of the whole gag of the mm-hmm. episode. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, I do think like on the whole, the acting was really great. All right, what else do my notes say? Oh, that I okay. I have two more things I'd like to mention. Okay. One of them, and you're gonna have to help me out because I only faint like I don't exactly remember the events around this. But I remember it really bothered me at the time. So here's what I wrote down, and I'll let you translate it for me based on your under better understanding of the film. Okay. If that had been a bomb, he would have destroyed so much. What? Wasn't there a... There was like a... There was a something that he didn't know whether or not it... Like he believed it to be a bomb, but it wasn't or something. And he was threatening to use it. Well, the, the Omega-13, but that's... The, no one that's, knew what it did. Yeah. and But Tim Allen was willing <laughs> to set it off. The Omega thing. The, the Omega thing. He was willing to set it off thinking that it very... Like, like he was given two options. It's either a bomb or it's this other thing. And he was like, okay, I'm going to set it off. Like, well, if it had been the other thing, that would have been genocide. Well, at the same <laughs> he time... He was lucky he, that it wasn't. He was put in a situation where everyone was fucking getting massacred. So it was either make that decision. That is a Kirk move. Kirk was definitely the type of person who would have, you know, he, he reacted with his gut. I agree. But the only reason why it he still gets to be a hero at the end is because the writers decided that that wasn't a bomb and well that's movie making <laughs> nick if that's it had the been job a bomb, of the writer he would have been a monster and he did not know for sure like in that moment he's like well i'm going to roll the dice and maybe blow up half the universe that's every movie though like that's every movie you <laughs> have those I'm choices. not okay with that you... i'm not okay with you risking blowing up half the universe that is not a hero that is a sociopath well, like i said the kirk's made decisions like that totally and I think we all agree that Kirk was a monster. <laughs> the imposter may be identified by scratches on his face. Repeat. I'm the imposter is not to be injured. I've got to I've got to I've got to But at the same time... No one knew what it was. Someone had thought, "Oh, maybe it's a maybe it's a bomb." But like Justin Long's character gave him a a really strong case that it's like a lot of us believe it's this thing, but yeah, no well, one knows. My my recollection is that Justin Long was like, "A lot of people think it's a bomb. I happen to think that it's something else." So okay, maybe he's going with his belief in Justin Long's character, but because still, Justin Long knows this world better than he does, it's him yeah. getting put in his faith in someone else, and he put your life on the line in order to do that. Yeah, but let's be real: if the world, if the universe, just fucking ended like that, I wouldn't know why. <laughs> I wouldn't have to pay taxes anymore. <laughs> Get involved in politics, kids. Um, and then the, the last thing I have to say is, I just have to, real quick, I just have to yeah. say, um, 
I love that you're commenting on that because you are a writer and you know about the in about the writer's inconvenience or not oh, yeah, the convenience totally. of like you like you shape the world how you want it to be. But the writers also also Manda makes a great created. point. Manda makes a great point. I got the impression that they hadn't done that. The Earth was at risk, anyways. So sometimes you just gotta roll that dice. You gotta <laughs> roll that dice and hope that you get a deep, you get a natural twenty and not a nat one. <laughs> and when you get a nat one, bye bye universe. <laughs> but he got the d twenty, so instead he got to do you know do his thirteen minute thing. And now I'm just thinking that me and you need to write a movie where we make all of our decisions based on dice rolls. <laughs> I love it. Anyways, um, continue. Going, going back to your point um, about like the writers like dilemma like yes but the writers are the one that set up that choice like the writers did not have to say a lot of people think it's a bomb and it's gonna blow up the universe that that also adds suspense to it because we don't it's that whole hitchcock thing again where a, a a mundane conversation is made far more interesting if you know there's a bomb under the table how boring would it have been to be like okay you know we don't know what it is but i think it's this thing well then it adds no like stakes to but that you, moment it's like i don't know what this is gonna do but i'm hoping it's gonna fucking work out for me it means so much more if you think it could be something negative typically when there's a bomb a bad guy said it and a good guy is trying to defuse it whereas in this case a quote-unquote good guy is the one that lit the match to it hoping that it wasn't a hoping that justin long was right so that the setup of that i think undercuts tim allen's character's like heroism in activating it i think the calculated risk was uh horrifically problematic i don't know i guess i would have made the same choice because you would have blown me up (laughs) i would have rolled the dice and hoped for the best (laughs) i would have hoped that this choice has a positive ripple as opposed to being like, well, I don't know. I think it's less heroic to be like, well, I have something that could potentially work, but I'm too afraid to do it because of what else it could cause. Once again, going, we had just finished the good place. It's the trolley incident. It's the trolley experiment of, do you, do you, do you kill one person or five, but someone's going to potentially die. Okay, I, I, I agree with the trolley incident. Yeah, but I don't think it makes him a hero. I don't think he was so trying to be a hero. I just think he was just trying... He was making a choice. Because, like, let's be real, Nick. If you were dying, if you were dying and watching everyone around you die, you sometimes just fucking react. I I would like to believe, and I think part of the reason why I have an issue with this, is I would not have risked the lives of so many others to save the people on the ship. In the trolley incident, I would not throw the switch to kill five people, or... No, because the numbers are inverted in the trolley. It's like, if the trolley is going to run over one person, and you throw the switch thinking that there's a good chance it's going to run over five more, but maybe not. So I 
there is something to the to the trolley metaphor but the reason why i have a problem with it doesn't translate exactly to the trolley metaphor anyway as i you know what i would love to hear um other people's reaction to that moment like if you're listening to this and you are like yelling at your uh radio right now that god that showed my age uh you're all the old radio um i think i think what this shows nick is i have faith and you do not (laughs) in a guy you met for one minute at a convention yes Uh, the guy guy he met for one minute in a convention who was 100 percent right on everything else up until that point i that is certainly how it turned out in the end but up until that moment, in the Schrodinger's cat that is that moment, like, that was, I, I think he risked way too much. I, and that, in my opinion, while I don't think he was trying to be a hero in that moment, but he is certainly, like, he became heroic at the end. He was certainly portrayed as the hero that he always believed himself to be. I think that, for me dramatically undercuts my belief in him actually deserving the heroism heroism that he supposedly had at the end of that film and i believe that if they wouldn't have set up that it could potentially be a bomb that ending wouldn't have been nearly as interesting (laughs) the last thing that i'd like to say on galaxy quest this has been our most heated episode (laughs) it is is, it's sassy Is a review I saw on Letterboxd, which made me smile so much. The review, reviews. <laughs> the review is one sentence in all caps. This is the single greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Three and a half stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Letterboxd in a so, nutshell. I would love to go through that person and see, like, if literally everything else is three stars and lower, or if there's it's, just it's some real discontinuity. <laughs> I think there's something about that that, like, while it it didn't match my feeling on it, like, I appreciate the 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 dissonance in like the two different reactions. It's so amazing. A three and a half star movie. Like I have a similar thing going on where like there's some beautiful moments in this film. There are long stretches of time where I was captivated and really enjoying myself. And then there are other parts of it that I just have real issues with. And it bounced back and forth in a way that was very jarring. All in all, like I think I gave it either three or three and a half stars. Like there's a lot it's of higher really than I was good... expecting it to be. Uh, it, like I, I, I think we're the conversation leaned into the controversy, right? We're, we're mostly discussing the parts where I didn't think it was great because that's where, like, I think where we both wanted to dig into and see what's going on under it. But I did have a lot of very positive it's, feelings about this film. And if anything, much like how, um, um, we have we have we have a term for uh, we have our thrill house moment. I think this yeah. this movie also gave us something new. We have our omega thirteen situation. <laughs> so anytime a character does some does something that feels like it it changes the trajectory of their character is now the omega thirteen situation. Nice, I love it. 
We're going to, like, I hope someday we have this, like... We have a glossary. Like, yes, exactly. The the terms that they use and what they actually mean in their context. The real shame listeners know. <laughs> All three of you. <laughs> Whom we love very much. Um, so, yeah, that's my take on uh, Galaxy Quest. Uh, again, it the conversation would lead a listener to believe that I disliked it more than i actually did i i would not say that i disliked this movie i wouldn't say that i loved the movie i had a lot of feelings about the movie and in the spirit of um this definition that we bring back like the worst sin that a film can commit is boring you or being forgetful or not not giving you a reaction this gave me a lot of reactions so based on that definition success (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i was not expecting to have such a conversation for galaxy quest <laughs> i think you you offered we're we've been talking about doing two films on deck and you're like all right well which one do you want to talk about first i go i think i want to talk about galaxy quest <laughs> i got some thoughts all right well then um we could probably wrap up here and we could talk about some of the the plans we've got coming up um, whether or not it'll be next or a little bit later on, because we want to try to get something going for for Cineween, we yeah. are eventually going to be doing RoboCop. Yes. Um, and then, um, so this last weekend I was at the Twisted Dreams Film Festival helping out the Troma booth. Yeah. And also working the Troma booth was one of our listeners, Katie Cadaver. And she had, um, so one of the things that I got for helping out the, the booth was Lloyd told me to take a couple Blu-rays, and I grabbed a copy of one of Lloyd's movies called Troma's War. And uh, Katie's like, you should talk about that on the show. I was like, I should, because I can almost 100% guarantee Nick has not seen it. I have not. And, I've seen a few Troma films, uh, but not She that said one. if we do Troma's War, she'd like to be on. Awesome. Um, and then we got to figure out something spooky to do for, uh, for Cineween. Yes, um, I don't have anything, uh, let me check my list here. I've been keeping a pretty good, okay, I, I actually do have a few options for you um, that I have on my list. Uh, Snakes on a Plane. Never seen it. Human Centipede. I have seen that one. Um, I have not. They Live. I have not seen that one. Cannibal the Musical. Which I know isn't like straight up horror, but it no, but it is involves cannibalism, and I love that movie. That's a trauma film. That is a trauma film. I uh, did it not wasn't produced that. by Trauma, but it was released by them. Okay. Um, I actually have my copy signed by Lloyd Kaufman. Nice. So I, those are the the ones on my list that I think would work for for Cineween. Okay. Um, I guess we can we can stew on that for a little bit. If any of our three listeners have a perspective of, <laughs> of what they want to hear us talk about, let's go through that list one more time, Nick. Oh, okay. Uh, bah, 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 pulling it up. Um, snakes on a plane. Snakes on a plane. The human centipede. Well, we already had one vote for not human centipede. <laughs> um, they live. They live. So far, that's kind of where I'm thinking. I think that's it. I think that's all. I said. Oh, and then and then uh, uh, Cannibal the Musical. Oh, and Cannibal the Musical. That's right. Um, my vote, thus, oh. right off the top of my head, would either be. I also they have Soylent Green. I also have Soylent Green on the list. That one I have seen. 
Okay. I have not seen any of those. Okay. Well, so. those are the picks, y'all. Um, we have one Let's vote. Let's do They s- Live. All right. Oh, well, we, we just also have a vote snakes. for Snakes on a Plane. Okay. Oh, now we actually have a vote. All right. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll have some off-camera discussions and uh, figure it out. And once again, not Human Centipede. Oh, Amanda <laughs> voted for They Live. Nice. Um, uh, and she makes a good point okay. because we almost saw it the other day. It was playing in a theater recently. And oh, nice. We had almost w- went to go see it. That got brought up when Another we vote were, for They Live. <laughs> we were talking uh, with... Was It wasn't the Austin Proctor conversation, was it? We, we were talking with somebody on the podcast and we brought up They Live. It very well could have been. Actually, I think it was because the reason I have a copy of that movie is because he's like, I've got two copies. I'll send you yeah, one. And he okay. legitimately that, did. That he sent me a it. copy of it. <laughs> nice. So, so uh, let's do They Live uh, and inspired by Austin Proctor. Hell, we could probably even get him on the show. Nice. Yeah. I know I know a guy. <laughs> I know a guy. I'll text him right afterwards. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that has been our episode on Galaxy Quest. Um, um, obviously, as um, you know, some of you have been watching along with this conversation, we really appreciate it. Uh, yes, let us absolutely. know where you stand on, on this film. Like, uh, you know, has Nick is Nick gatekeeping? Is what <laughs> is, is he gatekeeping? Is are his uh, perspectives? Uh, truthful. How do you feel about the depiction of nerd culture in this film? Is Tim Allen a hero in this movie? What would you have done? In... Or is he a sociopath for trying to blow up the world? Nick, Amanda Not thinks, trying to. Amanda thinks you're a party pooper. <laughs> I don't disagree. <laughs> um, you know, and where do you stand on Tim Allen as an actor? Let us know all these burning questions. And, um... Yeah. If you're not yeah. down with that, I got two words for oh, you. Hold on. No, you don't, because oh. we wrote a new sign-off now. I forgot what it is. Tell me. Okay. Well, uh, tune in next time. Same shame time. Same shame station. Which shame is a station. bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> same shame time. Same shame station. <laughs> it, it works so much better over text. <laughs> I when I when I texted you that I go did we just write a new <laughs> new yeah. closer and you're like yup we sure did and then we just tried saying it and it does not work <laughs> but we're gonna stick I'm with sticking it. to it yeah I'm we're sticking stick to it. Sa- it same shame time same shame station yeah <laughs> Sally sells seashells down by the seashore the Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee Wisconsin and Easton Maryland and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Byers. Today's episode was edited by Nick Richards. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed. The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.